Yesterday I got John Munson on the phone for about 20 minutes when the reception in his car and the chattering of the Bluetooth got too bad to continue progressing forward with the conversation. So we picked it up again today. Uh, we didn't rehash a lot of the first parts of it, but suffice to say I was very intrigued and we really took our time with this one. Uh, his circuitous route to, to where I know things eventually end up. Heck, maybe when I get halfway along that narrative, the point is that I think you're really going to enjoy. I say that every time, but it's true. And especially true with this one. Um, whether it's John's morning of 9-11 or being in the club industry or learning about polo in Wellington or getting, running away from a home, sort of, in any of the Anyways, just listen to it. Do yourself a favor, get involved in this man's story, um, and I think you'll be better off for him. Music is always by Batista Wild. Hello? John, I think we finally made it work. Ah, excellent. Do you have, uh, do you have lights in your closet, or are you still, uh, you still sitting in the dark? Thankfully, the lights came on. And the technology is working, Wi-Fi is up and running, and it appears that you made your drive safely yesterday. Yes, yes, and I'm returned. I am now back on the uh, back porch of my of my mother's home. So wait, so you didn't stay down there? That was only for an yeah. afternoon and the evening? Yeah, it was four hours round trip just to sort of be in the company of someone that was a friend of mine, <laughs> you know, because it had been so long. Uh, so we just sort of sat. Uh, walked walked along the beach, um, but uh, it was nice to have a little a little change of pace. I I figured that you were going to be there for like a week or two, you know, just to mix things up. But that is a commitment uh, to not going crazy. Yeah, it was definitely I think four hour drive to be somewhere for three hours. So it's uh, but you know there wasn't a whole lot else to do. Well, I'm actually glad that we were able to put our call yesterday on pause and are talking now because you are crystal clear compared to yesterday where it sounded like you were driving in a convertible. Yes. Okay. Well, this will uh, get this shit. I guess that's important when it comes to recording audio calls. So It makes a difference. And it's just being kind to those listeners out there who were... Uh, excited to hear all about your time between Hotchkiss and uh, Lakefield, uh, Lakefield High. Do I have that correct? Lake Lakeland. Lakeland High. Yes. And um, <laughs> it, because it really was a pretty fascinating back and forth. And where we got cut off was you were describing your um, actual timeline of switching behind high schools. And so yeah. just to recap, can you start us off freshman year and take us through that progression? Yeah, so freshman year was at, at Lakeland High School, um, which was a public high school of, I think we were 24 um, hundred students, um, very much, you know, we had a, a, a famous high school football team that won the national championships many times and, um, had kind of a Friday night lights meets dazed and confused sort of aspect to the whole thing. Um, and then, so it did all of freshman year there, um, sophomore year, um, started at 
Hotchkiss, uh, what they call your lower mid-year. Uh, so did all of sophomore year um, at Hotchkiss uh, and a very very traditional prep school. Yeah, you had an older yeah. sister there, right? Yeah, my, my sister had gone there. Um, yeah, so she actually, she graduated, uh, the year before I got there. So we, um, we never overlapped, but it was very different. You know, I mean, Hotchkiss has squash teams and Lakeland high school had a rodeo team. Um, it's, you know, definitely a different, um, and you know, to go, uh, you know, it's just a different level of, you know, I, I grew up comfortably, but you're around, you know, definitely just a different aspect of, of wealth. And, um, you know, the kids, a lot of them were, you know, were out of New York City or from um, sort of the uh, suburbs of the, of the surrounding area. And I think they definitely had a, a pretty different um, growing up. But I think the hardest thing was a lot of them knew each other. And so this was sort of starting off, uh, you know, fresh. And, you know, without knowing anybody, uh, which is which is intimidating. And when you're, I guess, what, 15 years old, um, it's uh, it's it's a tough time. So um, what you was know, your low point of that, that year? Um, you know, I, I would say the whole thing of uh, the, the low point across it was just that difficulty of, I mean, A, you're away from home for the first time other than, you know, like a summer camp, right, which would be like three weeks. So it's the first time you're away from home for a long time. Um, but I think the hardest was not, um, you know, not knowing anybody and sort of the the intimidation of, um, of making new friends. Um, and I think particularly in, and I'd say, you know, when I look back on it, um, you know, and I wasn't in, incredibly happy there. I mean, it's a beautiful, like it's a gorgeous school and the facilities are, are top notch. I've the, actually done educators. an auction at the, uh, that barn in Salisbury, like the, 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 whatever it is that has the barn and the big sloping area and like the silo I've, I've done charity auctions there. I gotcha. Yeah. So, you know, the area, um, and it's, you know, you go back to now and you're just like, wow, this place, I mean, either they've got this new athletic facility that's like all Corinthian marble. Like it's just, it's, it's an insanely nice school. Um, but you know, when you're 15 years old, you don't, you take a lot of that for, for granted. Um, and I think a lot of it was just, um, you know, a, a, a real sort of laugh, lack of, um, of self-confidence, um, you know, that, and that's an age that's, that's tricky for, for kids. Um, and you know, I went from, you know, finally having found like a good friend group, um, in, in Lakeland and call it like sort of middle school. Um, like eighth grade is probably when I became closest with, with people that like, I still, you know, consider some of my closest friends. And so to suddenly be sort of taken out of that and put in some place where, you know, by, by not being from new England, um, you know, you're already at a bit of, of an outside and sort of really going in and, and knowing zero people was, uh, was a little bit tricky. So I was never, um, I was never really hugely happy there. Um, and you know, I knew that it was a good opportunity. Um, and you know, a, a prestigious, you know, educational institution that was a, you know, it was a good thing to be. And I also knew that it was quite, you know, quite expensive to be there. Um, so, you know, went through the sophomore year. Okay. And then, uh, come sort of towards the end of the junior year, um, I found that I really just was pretty unhappy. Um, and so I took, uh, you know, what they call medical leave, which is a very, you know, vague description that lets you sort of go home for a bit and, and figures things out. So I did three quarters of my, um, 
junior year at Hotchkiss and then sort of the last semester back um, at Lakeland High School. And then I had a chance, you know, having been at Hotchkiss to kind of compare. Um, and I decided that I would try and go back for senior year. Can you take um, us through but, that thinking? I mean, I know it was um, a number of years ago now, but that's that's fascinating to me. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just if you could take, yeah, take I think, that and you know, really, it was kind of, it was sort of, I, I think, loneliness was probably, you know, what the biggest thing was, and um, I was, uh, you know, I would, I was sort of, I was, I was sleeping in quite a bit, which was my big issue. That's what I would kind of get in trouble for. So I wasn't, you know, one of the kids who was going and like smoking dope in the woods. I was just sort of asleep for my eight o'clock classes and would roll in at like eight fifteen. Um, and so the thought was kind of, you know, I remember talking to, uh, to my mom really, and, you know, who just sort of saying, you know, if you're not happy, you can always, you know, come home. So, um, I decided my parents were going through a divorce at that same time. So that was, you know, I, I said then that I wasn't really that affected by it, but I think in hindsight, that's probably something that's always gonna, um, you know, have an effect on, on a kid. I mean, even though, you know, I was, I was out of the house by that point. Right. So it wasn't, you know, my, for all intents and purposes, my, my childhood was with the, you know, a seemingly happy nuclear family. Um, but there was just a thought of, okay, I knew that I was, it was, it was pretty bummed, um, being there. Uh, so, you know, I decided to come home and then, you know, realized having put them back to back, that, um, you know, realizing really what sort of a good educational environment, um, Hotchkiss was. And, you know, my, my father who, you know, a son never wants to disappoint would have preferred I had, I had been at Hotchkiss as well. Um, so I went to go back for my senior year. Um, but you know, when you come off of a medical leave, uh, for, for whatever vague reason, um, you sort of go back, um, and a probationary type period. Um, and I was sort of quickly up to my same things of, uh, of missing some of my first period classes. Uh, and so I woke up one morning and the, uh, the Dean was, was in my little dorm room and I thought, oh, that's probably not a, a good sign. Um, yeah. And it was, it was not. Um, and it was explained to me that, um, my, my tenure, uh, at Hotchkiss would be over that afternoon. Um, so, yeah, so that came, um, as, as a bit of a surprise, um, and, you know, being sort of, I, I guess I was 17 at that point. Um, and you know, that's a, that's an angsty time, uh, for a lot of people. And I, I certainly am, you know, was, was one of those. Um, so I came back to, uh, sort of a lot of arguments with, uh, with, with my parents, which was not, you know, not good for, for anyone. Um, and I decided to more or less, um, run away from home. And even though they knew about this, um, and I got a job, um, in Vail, Colorado, uh, I had a friend, yeah, I had a friend who, you know, I was sort of explaining to their parents, you know, what I was dealing with. Uh, and the mom was like, you know, they always hire a bunch of people seasonally because they had a house out in Vail. And she's like, you know, I, I know some of the people over there. So I called, 
Um, and they basically said, you know, yes, we do have some positions open. Uh, do you have any daycare experience, any childcare experience? Um, and I was like, you know, I've, I've babysat for, for people before, which, you know, it happened probably a, a handful of times to sort of neighbors and friends. Uh, and apparently that was enough for an interview. So it, it's 17. I got hired to go work at the golden peak daycare facility, um, at Vail, Colorado. That's and, insane. Yeah. And so instead of going of, to Hotchkiss yeah. your senior year, you went out to Vail and started taking care of really rich kids. Yeah, it's exactly what it was. I got, there was wow. one kid whose parents, the, the father was an ambassador to somewhere and the mother was like, would you want to come, you know, to DC and, and live with us as an au pair? And I was like, I, I can't, <laughs> it's, I can't do that right now. So that lasted for a couple of months. Um, that would have been probably November to February. Were you um, a skier or a snowboarder? Do you I was take not it at oh, all, God. which was really dumb in hindsight. <laughs> um, you know, because one of the things that they give you is like uh, a season uh, pass, right? A season pass, yeah. yeah. But I was stoked with you know it was like housing and thirteen dollars an hour, and like when you were seventeen, like that was that was fine by me. So big deal, yeah. When you're seventeen, it's, be it's better than running away from home and living in some um, trap house. Yeah, though, I will say the housing that they give you is pretty, pretty downscale. It's um, trap house adjacent. It, yeah, it was in this place, I think, called like Willow Ridge or something. And uh, it was known as Ghetto Ridge by everyone, like including the bus driver who'd be like, OK, Ghetto Ridge. And uh, I got I was still getting mail um, from a jail that I actually opened one. I was curious. And it was a mother, uh, I guess, the tenants prior to myself Um were a little girl and her grandmother that was looking after her because her mother was in jail. Um, Goodness. So you know, you don't, you don't think of, you know, the vicinity of, of Vail, Colorado sort of being like that, but that, um, that was the housing that I was in. So, but that was, I mean, that definitely took sort of the lonely time to, to its max. Um, and you know, cause I was alone for, for Christmas and, and sort of that new year's and everything. And it just wasn't, it wasn't a good scene. Um, and so finally, and if you're not a and, skier, then you're not connected. With yeah. Anybody. I wasn't doing that's, much, that's, you know, like I was sort of, scene. yeah, um, I was working and there would be like little parties for the ski bums around this complex because it tended to only be the seasonal workers that were there, but I was significantly younger, um, than most of them. So that was, uh, so that was a little tricky. Yeah. Um, so that, uh, so that was that time. And then, and probably, probably February or March of, of what would have been my senior year. Um, my parents kind of convinced me to, to come home and finish high school. Um, so I, so I came back, um, and I did those last, I guess it would be three months of, uh, my senior year. And, um, graduated really by the skin of my teeth. Um, like it was so, it was so last minute that, um, where everyone else is, uh, like the little leather cover that your diploma is in, uh, generally has your name sort of embossed in gold foil. Uh, my name was written on masking tape in, oh, uh, wow. in black Sharpie because I think it was really like down, down to that morning. Um, so that was not, and you know, I was definitely sort of acting out and, you know, arguing with my parents and things. And that was a, a time, um, I think sort of from prop call it my senior year through my, my first freshman year of, of college where we're, we're probably, 
I'm so curious, a low point when did looking you, back. When did you apply to university? At what so, stage did you so I actually had, get applications in? Um, which was which was a bit of a problem. Um, and yeah. so it came it came because the time that when one would be doing that was when I was in, in Colorado. Uh, you were so, nannying when you were supposed yeah. to be applying to college. <laughs> and, and as a little bit of context, like only a few years before, you were going to summer camp at Duke for 12-year-olds who had scored high on the SATs as like sixth graders. Yeah. And that was definitely, I mean, you know, that was a, a, an archetype that would we would deal with a lot then, which was, you know, I was a kid that had all of the potential in the world, right? Like I always, you know, had excellent test scores. Um, and, you know, if I put any effort, you know, could easily get A's and things. And, you know, I, and I was juxtaposed with uh, with my sister, who was um, incredibly motivated and organized. And she had, you know, uh, graduated, you know, well from Hotchkiss and ended up at Princeton and was, you know, was doing well and was was certainly sort of your the older star sister child. was at Princeton. Yeah. Oh, well, I was well, I had like, you know, was, was bumming around. <laughs> you were living in ghetto kids out of school. Yeah. So that was, you know, there was that juxtaposition, wow. um, which, you know, was definitely and, and I, I don't think those two things are necessarily unrelated. You know, I think sort of having that shadow um, probably uh, dealt with a lot of this sort of um, acting out type thing. Uh, and then a, uh, a family friend pulled a string and got me into the University of Florida, um, which is no place I'd ever wanted to be. Um, Not your you know, vibe. For, like, uh, not my vibe at all. I mean, I knew it hadn't been, and it's funny because around here, it's where most kids want to go. Yeah. Um, I would say that the majority of people end up at either university of Florida and Florida state, and that's what they're stoked to do. Um, and that was just never, um, what, what I wanted to do. Um, so I went up for, uh, you know, a year and really just didn't go to class. I mean, my acting, out got worse. I just kind of smoked pot and sat on my couch with a bunch of other people who were not doing very much with their college careers. Um, and so, I mean, I even only lasted at university of Florida for a semester and then ended up at like a nearby community college for the rest of, of the year. So, I mean, that was definitely sort of my lowest point as far as where, you know, where I seemed destined for as sort of a gifted youth and where, where I ended up. So Do you have that any was... mementos from this time? Like, have you ever gone back and looked at journal entries or emails um, or I have a, I have a mug shot from a DUI and that's probably, that's probably Probably the most apt, um, but no. And I've, Crazy. I've done, I've done my best to kind of. I that's a, a time in my life that I sort of forget about um, for any reason other than to kind of go back and be like, "Hey, you, you, you've made it right. You've turned yourself around." And yeah. so that's my. That is certainly what I look at personally is kind of my rock bottom. Um, and hopefully it will, you know, it will continue to be, you know, there's nowhere in the future that, that makes that seem like a, like a walk in the park. Because you um, were a Florida community college dropout at the end of your freshman year. Correct. And, yeah. Like and that's straight a far up, like, cry from INSEAD. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yes, that it is. And that was, you know, an interesting application to write for NCAD where you have to explain that. Oh, we're going to um, get there. Uh, I, am, I am taking my time uh, with this conversation because there are so many twists and turns. Yes. Yeah, so I, um, I, uh, 
uh, so I did one year there and then, you know, sort of in the, in the community college and there was a, all right, what are you going to do? Um, you know, you need to get a summer job type thing. Because at this point, you know, my parents were, and completely understandably so sort of at their wits end with me. Um, and you know, I, which is understandable. Um, and so I, I ended up lucking into, um, you know, my, at this point, my sister was in Washington, D.C. because she was working for the National Institutes of Mental Health, uh, to, you know, pre oh, going irony. to med school. Yeah. So she was she was doing that. And um, I was at a I, I was at an event in Orlando, Florida, uh, that I went to with, um, with my mother and a friend of hers and, uh, a lady that was there was the husband of, of the United States Senator from Florida, um, a democratic guy named Bill Nelson, uh, who had been an astronaut, yeah, fascinating guy. Well, he ended up um, being governor, didn't he? Uh, he tried. Okay. Um, that's, that's he tried. And then he actually ended up the governor, the former governor, Rick Scott, um, just replaced him and uh, actually uh, beat him in the last in the last campaign. Um, so he, but his wife, you know, I was sort of just speaking with her that evening, and you know, she was very, she's a very sweet, you know, Southern woman. And she sort of said, you know, well, what are you doing this summer? And I said, you know, I'm I'm not sure. Um, I said, you know, my sister's in in Washington, and she basically said, well, why don't you go? intern for bill on Capitol Hill. And I said, you know, sure, if that's, you know, a legitimate invitation, um, you know, I'll certainly do that. So, um, I got a call, you know, two or three days later from a guy, I believe his name was Kevin. Uh, and he was the, uh, like the office manager slash chief of staff for, for Bill Nelson's office in DC. And he basically said, um, I, uh, Grace was, was the, the senator's wife's name. He said, you know, we're, we're sort of full for, for interns. Uh, but Grace said that we need to take you on. So I, I've been told to offer you a, a position as an intern here. So that's what I spent, um, I spent my summer doing, which was, which was interesting. You know, I mean, the, the intern roles are very menial. It's, you know, sort of sorting mail and, you know, answering phones and, and doing whatever the, the sort of busy work is needed around the office. But it was a cool place uh, to be. Structure and, and purpose. Uh, to sort of be around, around the, the Senate. And, and it felt like it was doing something a little bit more legitimate, right? Like it, it yeah. felt like that was something that you could be sort of proud to say that you, that you were doing. Um, but I didn't know what to do, you know, sort of next. Um, and, uh, I thought about maybe staying in, in DC. I was looking at, um, apartments with the, with a friend of my sister's, um, and just sort of trying to, trying to see what was next. And my, my father basically said, you know, look, you've, you know, you've got your SAT scores and everything still, if you can get into another college, I'll, I'll give you one more chance. Um, so I, at first I looked at American university of Paris and he was like, absolutely not. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not <laughs> that going which is ironic because I did actually sort of end up, you know, in a similar situation yes, you did. so many years later. Um, but 
so I, um, I just, I always knew that I wanted to try living in New York city, um, at some point I had, um, and I think I'd gone to visit the first time when I was like 12 years old, um, and just dug it, you know, ironically it was probably Times Square or something back then that I of thought course. was super interesting. Um, but I, uh, I had a good friend and a girl that I sort of briefly dated, um, at Hotchkiss who, you know, had lived on the Upper East Side and we would go, you know, visit on weekends and things. And, you know, I think I had the, you know, mistaken thought that, you know, everyone lived in a five-story townhouse off of, off of Park Avenue, <laughs> you know, that that was the normal it is New a York misconception. Existence. Yeah, that was, that was incorrect. Uh, but I, um, I went on, you know, Yahoo, I think this was before Google became the search engine of choice and just sort of looked up, um, you know, New York city colleges, um, that were still, and this was probably, you know, June or July. Um, yeah. And so trying to find ones that had, uh, that still accepted sort of rolling admission. Um, and so I found, uh, I found Pace University, mm-hmm. um, and that was one of the places that I applied. Um, and I got, you know, a letter from them in probably mid to late August that I had been accepted, uh, awesome. to start school in like three weeks. Um, so that was, that sort of settled that. And that became, um, that became my beginning, um, of, of New York. And that was, uh, the first day of school was, uh, September 8th, uh, 2001, no uh, which was, yeah, which way. exactly, which was, was Saturday when we were supposed to move in. Yeah. Um, and literally the first day of classes were, uh, Tuesday. the 10th. Oh yeah. Um, Monday would be, the, yeah. would have been the 10th and Tuesday was the 11th. Exactly. So I was, you know, and all I knew, you know, I would, and I remember my mother called me, um, on the morning of the 11th and she was like, you know, are you near the world trade center? Um, and you know, of course I was, you know, it was on Fulton street, you know, nary five blocks away. And, uh, so she said, you know, it's on fire. And so I looked up, you know, out of my, out of my bedroom window, um, in the dorm, was on the, uh, the 17th floor of the dorm and, uh, you know, you could see it real clearly. And that was when nobody really knew what had happened, right? Everyone assumed it was a plane, but they kind of figured it was an accident. Um, and I remember it was on my, on the phone with my mother for a while and sort of also talking to, to my roommate. And we were like, you know, it's strange that New York doesn't have, um, any sort of, you know, aerial fire department, right? You would think that with all of the, all of the skyscrapers and things, they would have some sort of, you know, fire plane or helicopter. And I remember real vividly my, my roommate saying, oh, well, you know, here comes another plane. I wonder if that's the fire department. Yeah. And then when that one, so we watched that one hit. Um, and I remember real vividly this huge ball of, of fire, um, that, what, like the way to describe, you ever go to like those rides at like an amusement park that'll have like the a pyrotechnic aspect, but like it gets so hot that like you feel that flush yeah, on course. your face. Um, that's, you know, that's what we felt from that, from that second explosion. Um, and you know, at that point we definitely realized something was, something was up. Um, so everybody sort of gathered in the, um, the common rooms of the, um, of the dorms. And I remember just all of the debris sort of fluttering and all of the sirens and everything. And just what an eerie, eerily calm and clear morning. The sky was um, sort of juxtaposed with all of that. Yeah. It was a beautiful day. And whenever you get one of those like cloudless crisp days in New York, I can't help but think of that, of that morning. Um, 
but you know, it was, you know, we were close enough to, you know, to see the people who were, who were choosing mm. to jump out. And it was, so that was a very, I mean, just a surreal, surreal moment. And then I remember, cause for a while, you know, nobody knew, um, if, the buildings might collapse. And I think the, um, the assumption was that they would fall over, you know? Um, and our thought was, you know, are we close enough that if they fall over, um, but then, you know, they, they imploded directly. And I remember real vividly, we had the, we had the windows open. They were like these sort of picture windows that, that swung out floor to ceiling, um, in the, in the common room of the dorm. And, uh, you know, as the, the buildings came down, this huge, uh, just cloud of sort of smoke and dust and everything came up, um, and it came in through the window, uh, it just coated all of us. I mean, there were, you know, easily 20, 30, uh, students standing in that room sort of watching this and just, we all got coated in this like beige thing of of dust, you know, and tell that everything, you know, there'd been like a blue sofa and red table and all this sort of thing and kind of like generic dorm furnishing Ikea style. And like everything had just turned, um, completely beige. So that was, um, that was my intro (laughs) into New York, which was, uh, was intense. Yeah. Um, but it definitely, you know, so they, they turned actually, they turned the, um, uh, the gymnasium of, of pace into triage and then later, um, essentially, a, a morgue, um, because it was one of the, you know, the few big open spaces, uh, that was down near there. So they closed the school down, um, for, I guess, two or three weeks. Um, and I went down and we took Amtrak down. My sister was in DC. So at that point, you know, my parents had both of their kids and sort of both of the cities that were affected yeah. by this. Um, so I went down there for a little while. Um, and then, you know, school, school started up and went through, uh, the remainder of, um, my, uh, my, I guess call it my second freshman year, um, since you yeah. know, sort of scratch off the first one. So that, you know, I was happy to be in New York. Um, but I was never, uh, real impressed with, uh, with Pace University. Um, I, I understand that in the 20 years since it may have become a little bit more, uh, competitive academically. Um, but at the point it didn't seem, you know, for what the tuition was, uh, and what you were getting out of it. Um, it wasn't a place where I, I thought was, you know, all that, all that wonderful, um, more of a finishing school than a, yeah, it was more of a place that kind of sold you diplomas. Like that's what it felt like. You know, there were a lot of kids from a lot of different countries and like, you know, clearly it wasn't that difficult to get into. Um, and you know, I wasn't loving living in the dorms. I remember having a conversation, um, with, with my father who will, you know, play, a a, a role through much of this story as, you know, the, the frustrated yet ever supportive sort of person in, in the background. Um, and I said, you know, is there any chance that I could get my own apartment? Um, and he basically said, you know, if you're at pace, you know, with what we're paying, you're going to have to, um, stay in the dorms, but he had gone to city college. Um, and he had gone in the late sixties, um, when it was actually really respected, um, educational institution that had, you know, sort of more, yeah, more, more noble laureates, um, on the, on the teaching staff at one point, um, at the city college of New York than any other college, um, the Harvard of the proletariat, you know, and everything was, what did we call And back when he had gone, it was only, you know, it was all full academic scholarship and everything. Um, 
And so he basically said, you know, if you want to go to one of the city, the, the Cooney schools, you know, I would be open to allowing you to, to get an apartment. And since I didn't think that the, you know, the PACE uh, diploma was really anything that was going to open, you know, doors for me down the road, that kind of seemed like um, a no brainer. So um, that became sort of my next stop um, on, on the educational career. Um, but in the, in the meantime, um, one of the guys who had become a friend of mine um, at Pace, uh, he was from Staten Island. And uh, I remember one night he was like, my brother is a nightclub promoter, right? Which was not, oh, not go. a phrase that I'd ever <laughs> heard. Like I didn't, I didn't know what that meant. Um, and um, so I'm trying to remember for the life of me what the name um, of the place was uh it was on watts street or broom it's where chalk point kitchen is now next to black tap brewery um it'll it'll come to me at some point but um his brother basically said you know let's we can go check out this party tonight you know so i went and like it was the first time you know my whole idea of going out ever had just been sort of like college bars in Gainesville, right? Where they were like, you know, dollar pitcher specials and that sort of thing. Like that's all I knew. That of. was my framework also. I had no yeah. idea. Yeah. Nightlife. Like that's what, that's just what I thought it was. And so, um, I went to this club and like, I, there was like the velvet rope and, you know, we got right in because of the brother. And I remember, um, there was, uh, one of the victorious secret models at the time. I think it was Alessandra Ambrosia was at a table <laughs> and Chris Knopf, the guy that played Mr. Big yeah. on sex in the city was there. Cause it was one of Noel Ashman's, uh, joints and, and Knopf ended up being, uh, you know, an, an associate of his in, uh, at plum and NA and those, uh, but, I was just, I was fat. I remember, uh, it was the first time I'd ever seen bottle service. And I remember the idea that a bottle of absolute vodka was $250. Just thinking that was the most absurd thing I'd ever, Seems I'd like ever a deal of. now, doesn't it? Right, right. Exactly. But I remember that's exactly what it was. And, but just the whole thing, like I loved it. Like I was, I, I thought it was the, the coolest thing. Um, and so I started going to, um, a lot of, um, a lot of this guy's events, um, his sort of pseudonym was Peter James. Um, Cryon was the, the last name of both the brothers, but you find that a lot of people in New York nightlife sort of developed stage names. Um, I had, I suddenly have a lot of people, I have a lot of pseudonyms in my, in my contact list um, because of that whole, whole scene. But, um, I would go, you know, sort of as, as often as possible, you know, still underage, you know, 20 years old at the time. Um, but after a while, um, Peter kind of said, look, you know, you're coming all the time and you're bringing people with you. You know, would you sort of want to be a sub promoter for me and, you know, bring the bring the college kids? And I, you know, I, I jumped at that opportunity. And I mean, in hindsight, it's funny looking back is that it's just the, you know, the lowest of the totem pole of, you know, an already looked pretty heavily down upon, you know, way, way to, to spend one's time. But when I was, you know, 20 years old, just the instant gratification of it, um, was super exciting. Um, so that's what I ended up doing for the next couple of years. Um, I was at city college and so Were you I went sleeping at all. 
Well, so I had uh, I had a my schedule was that I would do sort of afternoon classes, right? Yeah. I would um, I would sort of be out five nights a week from 10 a.m. from 10 p.m. till you know four or five a.m. Um, so I would come back and I would sleep and I would start classes at like three. So I would do most of my classes from like three o'clock to seven o'clock, um, which meant that there were a lot of like uh, continuing education people in my classes. You know, a lot of sort of adults that had gone back. So it was a um, it definitely was 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 different. Um, you know, to do that, I had you know a couple days where certain classes I had to take were earlier, and I would sort of have those nights off. But it became a very non traditional um, college experience where you know the friends I was making. My social group wasn't coming from classes um, and it was coming from, you know, sort of nightlife. But what had happened was I, uh, you know, I, when I first sort of had the conversation um, uh, over the summer after after Pace about, uh, you know, going to one of the um, one of the Cooney schools. Um, at first, I was going to try and go to Hunter um, and they were like, we're we're completely full. Uh, you know, it's, it's not gonna, cause it was, again, this was very, very close to school starting. Um, and I was, I, I'd, I'd received, uh, a red cross check for having to, that came to everybody that was down in the, uh, in that immediate sort of area of, of nine 11. And I, I remember, you know, sort of one student figured out that you could sort of just go down to this trailer and they'd give you $2,500. So that's what was, was getting me through the summer. Um, and I went to go visit City College in the summer. And it's lovely, right? Like, it's like, I don't know if you've ever been up there, but it's it's a green quad um, with, with stone buildings. It looks a lot like a miniature Duke. Like, it looks a lot like West Campus, but just smaller. You know, it's the stone buildings and the gargoyles and sort of the Gothic arches. Like, it's really, and I thought, yeah, you know, this is this is lovely. You know, this is much nicer than, you know, sort of the, the Hunter Campus. Um, and so I showed up the first day uh, September of, uh, 2002. And I, I remember this because it was the, the outfit that I sort of had to take my, you know, student ID photo in. And I was in like a Navy blazer and like a violet button down shirt. But the research that I hadn't done on city college was that since, uh, my father had gone there in the late sixties, there had been a, a whole cultural revolution there. Uh, and it was now 11,000 students at the city college of New York, uh, and 1,050 were white. So, Interesting. so yeah. And I had no idea. So I walked into on the first day, what I quickly realized, um, is now lumped in as a historically black college and university. Wow. So, yeah. That's fascinating. That was, and I truly like, I walk in and it's just like, Oh, okay. So it was, was like a record scratch moment. Yeah, it really was. And I remember somebody called me Justin Timberlake the first day. <laughs> and I thought, all right, if that's going to be my, but like, I remember, um, the Chappelle show had just come out and it was real popular. And for some reason they were like playing that in the halls of the school, like on the, yeah, on why the not? monitors. Yeah. So that was, um, you know, that was very interesting. So I would, you know, I would go out and I would sort of nightlife and in early 2000s nightlife was um it was a lot of fun and it was you know it was boom time for wall street and everything so it was uh, it was very decadent um so that's what i would do um sort of all night 
And then I would go to black college for, for the afternoon, um, and finish. So I, yeah, so that was a couple of years and, um, and I bounced, um, I bounced around a couple of different majors. Um, and then as we were getting towards my senior year, I remember going, um, to a guide and I was going to do, I think it was going to switch to media communications is like my fourth, you know, choice of major. Um, and he was basically like, you know, if you do that, it's going to set you back, but you've taken enough psychology courses, um, because I had as electives, just interesting things, um, you know, human sexuality, abnormal psychology, you know, drug and alcohol, like just stuff that I thought was interesting. And he was like, you know, if you, go on the psychology track, um, we can get you out of, out of here in, you know, one more semester and, and a summer. Um, and at that point I'd been, you know, I was five years into college at that point. So I was like, all right, this, this sounds like a reasonable plan. Um, so I ended up a, uh, a psych major at, uh, at Pace University. Um, but for at my Pace? last, no, at city. Oh, excuse me, at, at city college, yeah, yeah. city college. Um, and then for my last year-ish there, I was um, there was a friend, a gal um, that I liked very much um, at who was actually who was at Pace. Uh, it was how I had met her, um, and she was from Buffalo. And I remember she reached out at one time, and she was like, "You know, I've got um, I've got a friend from from Buffalo who's moving to the city to like nanny for this uh, this wealthy family, and uh, you know she likes preppy white guys and you know going out. So I'm gonna set you up with her." And I said, "You know, for this this sounds you know just fine." So. Um, Ended up Were you a little hurt with, that the girl you had a crush on um, tried to set you up with one of her friends? And, and uh, yeah, but it had been, you know, that had been far enough gone, you know, like I had been in the friend zone long enough, you know, that I think that that had sort of that, that had diminished. So it was like, all right, you know, if you can get any sort of uh, dividends off of this. Um, and uh, so she's, uh, you know, we. we we went out a couple of times and she was telling me about, uh, sort of the family that she was all pairing for. And she's like, you know, they've got, they've got three kids, one's in college. She said, you know, I am mainly taking care of, uh, you know, the youngest boy who I, I, I think was, you know, nine or 10 years old. And she goes, and then, you know, they've got a 17 year old who is, um, you know, kind of wild and a, and a lot of fun and, you know, she said one time, can I, can I bring her to one of your parties? Um, it's and, so wildly unprofessional. I'm, I'm just giggling. To yeah, myself. Oh, it's, hard, yeah. This yeah, is like the premise of a massive, movie, right? Like, massively this. so. Um, and, but I said, yeah, sure. Um, why not? And, and I think probably thinking like I might be able to pull off some like wicked threesome, which, you know, of course was never the case, but I ended up dating uh, the, the girl, the, the 17 year old for, uh, for, for, for several years. Um, and, uh, it was, uh, it was funny because in the beginning and, you know, sort of for exactly some of the reasons you mentioned the, the au pair didn't, didn't stick around too long. I think she actually hit a pedestrian with one of the family cars oh, God. <laughs> and, you know, and that person threatened a, a lawsuit against a, a family that would be very vulnerable for, for such things. Um, but there was, you know, there would be sometimes in the beginning, you know, where I would go over, they lived in, uh, in Riverdale. Um, and when I would 
would go sort of to their house for, you know, Seder dinner or whatever. And the, the au pair would still be there, you know, like serving dinner to me, you know, as the boyfriend of the, of the, the daughter of the, of the family. Um, so and, that and was, uh, what did the parents think about, about their daughter dating a young adult? Um, you know, I think she was a senior in high school. Um, and so, and I was like a junior in college, so I don't think it was as terrible, you know, I think yeah. it was like 18 to, to 20 and she turned 18 relatively shortly after. Um, and so, I mean, I'm sure they weren't thrilled about it. Um, but I think because sort of, I was still a student that that was kind of acceptable, um, and they were, you know, they were relatively uh, liberal, I think, when it comes down um, to some things. But she was, you know, she was still sort of doing well in school and everything. And she was a um, she was an equestrian. So I would spend uh, and that is just such a, a different world um, yes, of the people that, that populate that. And so that was I would spend most of my weekends basically flying out to wherever she was competing and spending um, the winters down in uh, in Wellington, Florida. Yeah, um, the pole sort of. Yeah, exactly. And and kind of getting to know this sub community. Um, which is so fascinating because, you know, it's, it's particularly the the Wellington in the winters because it's, I, I mean, for the most part, extraordinarily wealthy. Um, the, you know, the people that are doing this, the, you know, the costs of the, the expenses of sort of the equestrian hobby, um, is, is egregious. Um, but a lot of the parents sort of send and and it mainly is girls. And so they like send these young, like teenage girls, down to Wellington, Florida for the winter. And like, they sort of do like, there's like homeschooling tutoring type places where they sort of vaguely keep up on their studies. But other than that, they're just kind of running amok around this weird, uh, like it's suburban Florida town, which well, I know. Wellington. Other, yeah. It's, yeah. And it's I mean, other than like West Polo and equestrian. Yeah. And it's not Wellington itself. Um, is not a fancy place and, you know, is not a place with a high per capita income at all. And then all of a sudden this, you know, uh, very, very, you know, 1% of the 1% comes down for, uh, for, for the winter. And it's an interesting, you know, it's, it reminds me of sort of these college towns, right. Where you'll have like New Haven, right. Where you've got Yale, you know, which is sort of incredible. And then right around it, you've got kind of these poverty stricken areas of, of, uh, urban Connecticut. Um, so that was an interesting mix. And I got to know, um, all of those people. And that was uh, like the Argentine, like Nacho Cambiaso, like comes up and is playing polo and like Tommy Lee Jones was around there a lot from my understanding. I did. I got to meet. Yes, I did. I met him several times. Um, he's big in that scene. Yeah. And what's interesting about polo is if you own a team, you have to actually play. So it would be like if like George Steinbrenner had to actually suit up and like bat for the Yankees. Um, so he was, yeah. So, so Jones owned a, owned a team and a couple of other people around. Um, so it was an interesting, uh, you know, it was a fascinating subculture and one that I still am kind of on the periphery of from, you. you know, having stayed friends with a couple of the people that were this girl's friends. Um, and a lot of, you know, she's still down there. I was actually down there, um, just, just recently. Um, but that really, I think opened up, you know, a lot of doors. Um, and she and I dated for, uh, I don't know, probably close to five years. 
Um, and it was, it was a very happy time. Um, she was very, she was very sort of patient, forgiving and, and loving. Um, and I think my, um, my, uh, mistake was thinking that like at 21, right. That I shouldn't have like found the person and that I was supposed to like sort of wait and keep looking. And that I thought that if I met, you know, one girl who, you know, was very sweet and loved me easily, that that must be, you must be able to do that, you know, again, relatively easily. And of course, in hindsight, that turned out to be, um, untrue. And so, you know, I'm still sort of looking for something that's, that's got that bind. We actually, Actually, we uh, we eloped in Las Vegas um, one one weekend. Uh, actually, that was I was still in college. I remember that because it was right before right before my graduation party. Uh, we'd gone out there for uh, for a horse show um, and just thought it would be something funny to do uh, whilst in Las Vegas because we'd you know sort of seen Siegfried and Roy and in, in all of the the shows and we'd hit the casinos. So it was like let's go get married. And I remember we wanted we were going to do the drive through. Um, but if I remember correctly, it was the same weekend that Nikki Hilton got married in Vegas and she did it in the drive through wedding chapel. So we ended up instead, uh, with one that does the Elvis impersonators where John Bon Jovi had gotten married. So that was, that was my, one of the little, uh, fun wow. anecdotes, um, out of that one. Yeah. So I, um. I, I, I did have that annulled, uh, you know, which was, which is a difficult thing to ask a gal, particularly that you're still dating, um, you know, for a divorce. Um, but we, uh, you know, we got, we got through that and it's just a, I don't know. I, I find that she is... probably hates it that I tell this story, but I, um, I, I thought it was a fun little book. Now I remember yes, she was, no, she is... was Jewish. And so I had a glass with me and somewhere in the middle of the, the ceremony, I just put it on the ground and stomped on it. Cause I knew that was something that was supposed to be done. And just got, got strange looks from, you know, the leopard skin wearing woman that was doing our, we, I remember the taxi driver was taking us and he was all excited. Uh, and he was like, who's your witness? And we were like, what do you mean? And he's like, you have to have, you know, a third party witness. And so I basically just said, leave the meter running. And the cab driver walked her down the aisle. I remember he was this very small man in a, in a beige members only jacket. And he, he escorted her, her down for our little sham wedding of an evening. So that leave was, that the was good meter fun. running a love story. <laughs> yeah. And I wish, and I know that those pictures exist somewhere um and my my kizzy we got like a, a cd you know like a kodak like cdr yeah. that that had the photos on it because that was part of the whole package that we purchased you know it included like flowers for her and the photos i got a boutonniere um and my my guess on that is that she also know those existed and once we broke up she found them and likely destroyed them because uh, that is something that i would love to find and really if for anything for that photo of the uh, of the cab driver <laughs> walking her walking her down the aisle um it's incredible yes that was um that was a very happy period you know i was um after was a very college, tough period um i was doing the um the the nightlife um and it was you know i i had a girl it was it was a good relationship you know we, we argued very little um i just i didn't know any better you know i was immature and we were um i i was i was living very nicely you know um and, uh, so when I came out of, uh, out of college, I wasn't really sure what to do, 
um, job wise. Um, I didn't want to pursue psychology just because it was going to be, you know, at least six more years of, of schooling, um, you know, before you could do anything uh, that sort of made money with that. Um, so I came out of school, um, uh, cause I was taking, taking classes through the summer. So I think I actually finally got my degree in, uh, in August and there was a guy. So when you were a nightclub promoter, <laughs> which I very much was and doing, uh, you know, all sorts of uh, Lotus Pangea, Sessa, lot 61, suede, sweet 16, 17, I mean, dozens of Dorcia, Luan, I'm trying to think of, of all of the places that, um, that we would do, uh, yeah, your, your bottle guys were sort of your bread and butter because they would come and they would buy the table and there would be, you know, a bonus for you for anybody that was your bottle guy. Um, and in that time, uh, we're probably at 2005 at this period. Um, you know, it definitely was a lot of like Gordon Gecko 2.0 sort of dudes. Um, and very much like that banker douchebag stereotype, you know, it exists for a reason. These, these characters are out there. I mean, that's certainly not everybody, you know, that, that works in finance, but they, they exist and they are the ones that, you know, tended to be out at the, at the nightclubs all of the time. Very American um, psycho. Yeah, really. Yeah. Like people who genuinely like would watch that movie, like the way that like, you know, B grade gangsters want to be, Scarface. you know, Scarface because they're selling, you know, grams of Coke. Like these were the guys that very much wanted to be, you know, Patrick Bateman. Um, but there was one guy uh, who was not like that, who was, who was much nicer and easier going. Um, he was Canadian, which helps. I find them to be a very gentle people. Um, but he was, um, his name was Nick Bristol and he had a firm called Bristol Consulting. Um, and he was a headhunter. He was an executive recruiter for hedge funds and investment banks because they all have sort of a gentleman's agreement that they won't um, poach from each other, right? So Bear Stern says, no, I won't hire anybody directly from, you know, Lehman Brothers to give the idea of, you know, two banks that were around then when I was doing this. Um, and so the workaround was that you hire a headhunter. Um, and the commissions, it was 30% of the person's salary was what the the headhunter would get at the time, which were extraordinary numbers. You know, if you put somebody in at, you know, a $300,000 starting salary, that was 90 grand, you know, that you got for, for that one placement. So um, he had basically said, look, you know, obviously like you're, you know, you're charismatic. I think you'd be very good at what it is, you know, that I do. Um, you know, why don't you come and, uh, and, and work for my firm? Uh, so I took him up on that and I started in October, um, right after I graduated and it's, you know, it's all commission based. So it was a little slow going at first, uh, because he and the other partner, um, sort of had the bulge bracket banks, which is what you call the, the name brand, you know, the JP Morgans and the the Morgan Stanley's and everything. Um, and that's where the people wanted to go to. Right. So I would be sort of hunting for roles with these sort of mid tier banks. Um, and it was trickier to, to get somebody to want to go to one because it wasn't, you know, they were already in a finance job where they were being paid pretty well and it didn't, and it seemed like a huge opportunity. And the the one bank that uh, the company couldn't get any traction with um, was Goldman Sachs. And so I was like, I'm just I'm going to figure out a way to, to get myself in there. 
And, uh, you know, the other partner like discouraged me. It was like, you know, it's not even worth either. Don't waste your time. Um, but I remember I just called, there was this one guy, I, I figured out like who it was that I needed to, uh, to get in touch with. And in like a very like, you know, Bud Fox sort of thing, like just called him, uh, every week. And then I was out actually, cause I was still doing nightlife at the time, which uh, had to be, had to help you, right? Because yeah, and, and I, that's and where you're only, adding value. Yeah, exactly. So I was only doing it on Friday nights because I was, you know, I was going into an office every day, but I was still Friday and an occasional Saturday I would do things. And I remember I met a girl at a party who knew the guy uh, who worked at Goldman Sachs in HR as sort of an assistant and knew the guy that I had been trying to call. And so Perfect. I mentioned this to her. And on Tuesday of that week, I got a call from the guy. Um, and I ended up getting them as a client and that was great uh, because if you uh, call somebody wait, wait, and you wait. say, I've got a role at Goldman Sachs, <laughs> everybody wants it, right? It so, was, so you're so, a first I, year head yeah, hunter I was 23. with no experience, yeah, 23 yeah. and you land the biggest. Yeah. And he never met me, which was kind of probably uh, good uh, because it was an issue. I remember going in sometimes and people would be like, this person's a kid, right? What did Nick um, Bristol but, have to say about that? What's that? What did Mr. Bristol have to say about that? Well, he was stoked, right? Like they yeah. were very happy with this. Um, and, and cause I made them like, like $400,000, like, you know, quickly, you yeah. know, just, just from Goldman Sachs. Uh, but you know, the other partner was, he was just not, he, he, he was not a supportive manager, right? Like I remember bringing him a check one time for $65,000. And he was like, here's how you should have done that differently. And I was like, you know, what? Like, it's like, this is it, right? You know, like, this is the goal. Here's, here's the money. Um, so that was, yeah, it kind of butted heads with that guy for a while. Um, but it was nice because I was, you know, just about to turn 24 and I was starting to make, you know, pretty significant money for someone that young. For 20, um, because I, I was 24 in 2005 in New York City and yeah. I, I know what it's like to make no money at that yeah. time. Like, like it, it's a big difference if you have some cash in your pocket at that age. It's a yeah, game changer. It really was. And, and on top of that, I was, you know, I was dating a gal that allowed for, you know, a whole nother leap in lifestyle, right? Like we would, we had hump night every Wednesday night where we would just go out to some spectacular restaurant in the city, you know, like Michelin starred sort of things. So we would do that every week, right? It was like, so it was this very sort of fairy tale um, existence. And uh, I ended up, uh, one of the clubs that I was doing on Friday nights um, and, and very much enjoyed going to, was, it was a rock and roll club. Uh, on 21st and 6th Avenue, it was called Snitch. It was up on the second. Yeah, I remember floor. Snitch. Um, and so, uh, in it was either Memorial Day or Labor Day um, of whenever I was 23 years old. Um, I got a call from a guy that basically said uh, the landlord of Snitch isn't happy with them because at that point i think they were only open fridays and saturdays from like 8 p.m on like it was they just really weren't like putting a whole lot of effort in and they were like he wants to turn it into a jazz club uh but if we can come up with 
uh, I think it was like $150,000 or something like that, uh, by Tuesday, you know, whenever the end of this, this three day weekend was, um, we can take over snitch. Um, and I was, you know, that's when I, I had disposable income for the, for the first time in my life. Um, so I ended up becoming a partner in, in that nightclub. Um, and so those As are the two biggest steps I wrote. I became a partner in Snitch at 23, and then I became a member of the Classic Car Club of Manhattan. And so it was it was great times, right? I had you know all sorts of cool cars that I could drive around, and I had this club. That, I mean, I had a I had a negligible percentage of it, but it didn't matter because you could say that you owned it, you know, and you still got all of that sort of gratification of you know the velvet rope lifted. They all knew you and going through, and that was that to me was really fun. So that's what that a lot when, at that age. God. Yeah, exactly. Like I would say sort of between 24 and 25 were definitely the times where I was like, okay, like I've, I made it over the hump and definitely over the hump of, you know, uh, looking back because the two things that I, that I would always sort of look back on as, uh, uh, kind of disappointing was, you know, a, that feeling of not fitting in right. That I had at Hotchkiss, which was just sort of being lonely. Um, and even before, you know, I got in to, to, to where that situation was, I think New York, uh, gave me sort of that self-confidence that, um, uh, that, that I had been, I had been lacking for so long. Um, and I don't know if it was just something that comes with age, right. If it's that, you know, everybody when we're like 15, 16 is unsure of ourselves. Um, so I don't know if that came with growing up or the fact that I actually was genuinely happy in sort of the surroundings that I was in. But for whatever reason, um, I was, you know, I was liking life, uh, a lot more. Um, so that sort of continued status quo like that for, uh, for two years. Um, and, and what would you do? So were you headhunting, uh, Manhattan classic carring and snitching? Were you doing all three of those things while still yeah, so, dating yeah, the Riverdale so, girl? I mean, the, the headhunting was really the only one that took up time and effort. Right. You know, snitch became my clubhouse where um, and I really, you know, I couldn't go during the week, but every Thursday, Friday or Saturday night, I would be there um, sort of holding court. And then um, amazing with the car club stuff, that would be you would grab a car for the weekend and drive or uh, lots of times the the way that their point system is set up to be able to use cars. Um, you know, you buy into a pool of points. Um, and then they have this whole little algorithm, um, on, on how those points get used towards cars. And if you would take a car midweek, um, it would be significantly less amount of points. than if you took it on the weekend, um, so lots of times on like a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night, uh, my girlfriend and I would pick a restaurant in, you know, a suburb, uh, and drive out to, you know, Greenwich for Italian or whatever. And, you know, a cool old Porsche. So it was, I mean, it was great. You know, Do you was, ever uh, drive her dad anywhere in a cool car? Yes. In a Rolls Royce Corniche. Yes. Um, and I thought, yeah. And I, and I think he appreciated that a little. I'm, I mean, he, I'm sure he was, did. yeah, cause he was an extraordinarily successful man. Um, and you know, on, on his own. Um, and, and, and a guy that I liked very much, um, and very understated, um, for, you know, the, the way that he lived, but I think he still appreciated that. Um, cool. so I was always, I mean, he's someone that I was always in awe of, um, and admire very much. And I mean, I don't think either he nor his wife were, you know, that disappointed when she and I broke up. Um, you know, I think they wanted her to, 
settle down with, you know, a nice Jewish boy who was, you know, successful and, you know, and whatever. And that's actually exactly what ended up happening. And, you know, from, from Instagram, they all seemed very happy. Mm. Um, but so we did that for a while and it was at that time that I took my first trip to Europe. Um, I'd gone your entire life? to, no, I'd been to Amsterdam once, um, and I had been to, I'd done this, done like a summer program at, uh, in Greece, but it was the first time that I did it kind of a grand tour sort of thing where I had a little money in my pocket and I did, uh, like Amsterdam, uh, God, I'm trying to remember, um, Definitely Amsterdam, Berlin. Um, I did uh, Copenhagen because Copenhagen had a branch of the classic car club there because they um, Denmark has uh, a super high uh, tariff on importing cars. But if it's for business, uh, you can skip that tariff. So there was a guy there that was a car collector. And he realized if he basically said that his car collection was a business, he could save having to pay these exorbitant uh, tariffs on, on his cars. So I remember I took Smart. a 911 Turbo, a 1991 911 Turbo, which is a, now a car that's worth about a quarter million dollars. Because um, it was a 3.6 and just ripped it all around Denmark and Sweden. Um, and it was, it was amazing. <laughs> and then I went to, uh, I went to, um, to Estonia, um, like yeah. just all, yeah, like no, it was I um, had a crazy night Latvia. in Tallinn. Went, went to Riga. Yeah. But I was just, that's when I was like, okay, this is one of the coolest things I've ever done. Right. And I, I hit like five cities in 10 days. Um, and then shortly after I was getting, um, I was getting a little, uh, disenchanted with the headhunting thing. Um, and ironically, all of my Goldman stuff was in residential mortgage backed securities and CDOs. Oh, um, so in my way, I definitely, you know, that was the part that I played in the collapse. Yeah. It was about to come. And I remember actually being on the phone, um, with a, uh, uh, managing director at Goldman Sachs. His name was Anupam. Um, and I said, you know, I'd like to understand, you know, what this is a little bit better so that, you know, if, uh, you know, potential, you know, employees ask me about this role that, you know, I can, I can speak to it with some intelligence. And so he explained to me the, the concept of a subprime mortgage. Yep. And I remember just being like, so you're going to take people with a proven history of not repaying their loans and bills and give them the biggest loan they've ever had in their entire life. And he was like, exactly. And I was like, that, that sounds like a terrible idea. And you're like, going to chop me, it up into little pieces. Yeah, yeah. He was like, no, 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 no. And <laughs> his, his pitch was like, no, you know, statistics have shown that like people don't want to lose their homes. So like, you know, their mortgages at once. So, and he kind of like defended it. But I just remember being like, that's like, that's a dumb idea. And, uh, you know, of course that turned out to be exactly what happened. But, um. In, uh, it's the equivalent of buying a bunch of like Costco liquor and being like, well, this is shitty by itself, but if we all mix it together, it's going to taste great. Yeah. Or also like I bought this liquor for my really like undependable alcoholic friend who, and I'm going to give it to him up front. But then he promised me he's going to pay me back for it. That's even <laughs> right? You know, like, or give me back all the liquor. 
so yeah and so it was but whatever it worked you know i i uh, you know i i made you know a nice chunk of change and had some savings um and, but it got to a point where all i was ever doing was cold calling right for the most part and you know i was looking at uh, the you know the other two principals of the firm you know who are also doing very well for themselves but that's all they were doing and they uh, work so nights was, too right because headhunters only make their calls after working hours yeah, you can't really call like you have to call with like fake names, you know, during the day. Um, and but I realized like it wasn't really something um, that was going to grow into, you know, something that I thought I would really enjoy. And I just I did not like um, the relationship with the with the partner. Uh, Bristol, you know, was a great guy. He continues to be a, a friend of mine. Um, but it was uh, it, it was not somebody who I really was saw eye to eye with. Uh, and so I, I just quit one day. Um, and I remember walking out. Uh, you know that very cliche of like your cardboard box with your couple of things in it. Yeah. Um, but just with like a weight off my shoulders and being like, you know, I think that this was was the right move. You know, of course, my father was like, why? You know, why in the world would you do that? You know, you're making six figures. You're 25 years old. That's you know, it's ridiculous. It's um, yeah. And so I um, I quit in in October of uh 2006 probably um not really knowing what i was gonna do uh but but you know having uh having you know a decent amount of savings um in the bank uh and then uh my uh my sister um got ill uh she was uh she graduated medical school uh and she was in her first year um I think it's residency. I, I'm, I'm never, you know, uh, completely sure on the terms of that. Um, and she uh, sort of developed a bit of, of an illness um, and had to had to go into the hospital for um, for a lung surgery. Um, and this was uh, this was uh, in, in December, uh, sort of late November and early December of uh, of that year. Um, and, uh, there were some complications from it and, um, she ended up dying, uh, so very, very unexpectedly, uh, the day, the day after Christmas of, um, of 2006. Um, and that was, um, that was a real blow, you know, it, um, there was no time to prepare for it. Um, they were actually, they were going to move her outpatient that day because she had been, uh, she'd been improving, uh, pretty steadily. Um, and so that, you know, that really sort of through everything for, um, for a loop. Um, I ended up, uh, you know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't working. Um, so I ended up going home, uh, to Florida to, uh, to sort of be, to be with my mother. Um, you know, I, I make it sound like I was doing it, you know, for me to be with her, but I think it was just as much, you know, for, for me to have somebody to be around. Um, and that definitely, um, that call that took about, a, a, a year to, um, to, to kind of recover from, um, I would say that it was two years and this is what, you know, I've, you speak to a lot of people, um, you know, when you go through a situation like that, um, you find yourself sort of reached out to and talking to, um, people that have been through similar things. Mm -hmm. And I mean, death happens to everybody, right? It just happens to, it happens to different people at different phases in their life. Um, and sometimes it's, it's less expected. Um, and so, you know, I found myself sort of talking to people who had been experienced and most of them said, you know, after about two years, um, you know, you start to get sort of into the new normal and it, and it stops being sort of what you think about every day. Um, and, and I found that to be very true. 
Um, and I have, um, I, I have since, you know, had, had friends who have, have gone through unfortunately similar experiences. Um, and they have even said that, yeah, that, that kind of two years sort of seems to be, uh, the period that it takes to kind of, to grieve. Um, so I, I stayed at home in Florida until, uh, until like March. And then I went back to, uh, to New York and was, um, was just kind of living off of savings, um, which I knew would not last forever. Um, I was kind of shocked how quickly, you know, 50 grand would, would you would go through just by sort of trying to, you know, live a, a normal existence in, in, in New York city. Just I had a lovely apartment. Away. So how, yeah, it just goes right. Um, without, you know, and not, you know, I wasn't, you know, living super extravagantly, you know, I wasn't you know, getting like caviar and, and that sort of thing, but it, you know, it, started. So I realized, okay, this is not, you know, going to be tenable for, for terribly much longer. Um, so I ended up, uh, I got my real estate license just because I thought that that would be something that, um, that might be kind of interesting to do. Um, it was so booming, I, like right, right. It oh, was like, yeah. this is like two, this is right before the crash, right? It's exactly when it was, it was 2007. It was, uh, it was early early summer 2007 right like maybe june and uh so i i joined this commercial real estate brokerage um that was really kind of a fly-by-night like it was it was one guy who had inherited a building or two from his family um and just sort of started a um uh a firm Right. Because it's not a bad gig if you're the person that owns it, because then you take a commission from everybody, you know, from all your people under it. So he hired me and it was very much um, like uh, like my business existed on Craigslist. Right. Like it was. It was I not, did it for a few months in 2005. Yeah. So I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. So that's what it was. And so I figured, all right, I've got to concentrate on something. Right. Like there's too much. Like I need to pick up, you know, some sort of sort of focus and, and niche. So I'm not just all over the place. So I decided that I would make my corridor. I was living on Sullivan and Prince Street at the time. Uh, 131 Sullivan Street, uh, which uh, what became the Dutch uh, was d- directly below me. Um, and uh, so I thought, OK, I'm going to do Soho office, commercial office stuff. And so I made my territory basically Broadway from um canal street to uh to like west fourth street or i guess just fourth street over there and um so i got to know and you know you just go door to door right like i had a little shitty digital camera and you would go door to door um and you would meet the the property managers um you know the ones that were like vornado were you know had their in-house um but a lot of those buildings are still owned by like you would hear the stories where you'd meet the guy and you'd be like yeah you know my grandfather had, you know, his hardware store in the basement of this business. And, you know, in 1960, when they were upping his rents, you know, he scraped together $275,000 and bought the building. Right. And so, you know, now they've still got them and yeah, yeah, you know, and they're great. And so a lot of these uh, buildings are still mom and pop owned. And so I got to know those guys and that became what I repped was just sort of Broadway corridor office buildings. Um, Wow. And it was gangbusters, right? Like I made five figures a month for my first couple of months, you know, right off the bat. And I was like, all right, like, cool, this is, you know, this is going to be good. Um, But then uh, the bottom fell out of the industry, right? Like the the crash came in, I think, September. um, September 15th, 2008. Yeah. 
Yeah. And there was, um, a, a period of time in which, uh, I, I think there was like a 14 month period. And when there wasn't a single class, a, uh, commercial transaction in, in Manhattan. Right. So that like, so the business was just sunk there. So it was like, all right, you know what, um, you know, what am I going to do next? Oh, and on that, I'm actually looking at the clock. I've got to run. Um, uh, which I, I apologize no, for. No worries at all. We're going to turn this into, it's going to end up being a three-parter. And so, okay, uh, like, perfect. So, like, I'm enjoying this so much. And, you know, and I realize I've never, I've never told this story all the way through it's ever. Fan, right? You know what's so cool about this? I was thinking about this yesterday is there is uh, a new website called, or service called Descript. Like, when you eventually write your memoir, you're going to be able to take this file and have it all turned into to words, and it's just it's going to be your first draft. Oh, fascinating! Like, like it's uh, it's going to make your life so fucking easy because it's already going to be written down. Yeah, um, yeah. So, and, and we're about to get into, I think, the six jobs I had in four years afterwards, which are all over the map and going through. So, well, and, John, and we're taking episode. our time. But we, we are in zero rush here. We have all the time okay. in the world. And um, so I, I look forward to either picking up uh, again tomorrow or on Friday. Okay, perfect. Sounds good. Sounds I will, good. Uh, Take care. I will keep in touch. All right. All right. Have a good one. Enjoy the closet. All right. Bye. <laughs>